Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to. Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin, Australian Open qualifying officially in the books. We know the 16 men and women that will be joining the main draw at the year's first Grand Slam. And if you're going to be recapping men's qualifying, there's only one guest we can turn to here on our Crack Rackets podcast, a man you may know best as host of the Monday Great Shot podcast, talking all things ATP Challenger Tour, contributor to our website and multiple other tennis outlets as well. Of course, I'm referring to Damien Kust, who joins me on today's show to talk about the standout performers in the men's qualifying action. We talk about the guys who have best positioned themselves to do some damage in this Australian Open main draw as well. We talk about the guys who may have missed out on an opportunity in the qualifying play as well. It is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to that, I want to offer my thoughts on the women's qualifying action as well. And just unfortunately, we've run out of time. Otherwise, we would have done multiple podcasts on both the men's and women's qualifying action. Unfortunately, we still got to get to our draw preview, so not going to be able to do that. That said, don't want to leave all of you listeners high and dry. I want to talk about some of my standout performers on the women's side in particular. The American women who had success in women's qualifying are all individuals I think are actually primed to bounce back or take another step forward in their careers here in 2022. Let's start with the youngest of the group, Katie Volley. That's the former USTA San Diego Girls 18s national champion. She's still just 20 years old and doesn't turn 21 until December 31st of this season. As such, it's worth you know taking note. She's already worked her way up to number 178 in the live rankings, reached a career high of 174 uh, at the end of last season. You look at what she was able to accomplish last year, wins her first uh, title at the ITF level, was 100K in Florida over in May. You look for her overall on the season last year. Wasn't a remarkable amount of success, 30 and 25, but it was the consistency she showed week in, week out, and some of the major results last year. She qualified for Wimbledon coming through the qualifying, beating Beatrice Haddad Maya, Teresa Merdeza, uh, you know, ultimately getting to the first round before being knocked out by Begu. She got a wild card into the U.S. Open last year, was knocked off 3 and 1 by Tomjanovic, but you look at how she was able to end last season, making a quarterfinal in Florence, round of 16 at the 80Ks in Tyler and Macon as well. Got some wins at the Columbus 125 and, you know, was able to play qualifying at a couple of different events at the WTA level. Get some experience there as well. As such, again, from a growth trajectory in her career, it makes sense. This is the next step for her, getting into the main draw uh, through qualifying at a Grand Slam. That's how you go from top 200 to top 100. Those are the biggest caches of points available, and it's worth mentioning now. She's played main draw at the past three Grand Slams, qualifying in two out of the three. Obviously, the wild card into the U.S. Open helps, but how did she earn that wild card? Because she is one of the many rising stars in American women's tennis, and 
look, does Valinets have the weapons of a Haley Baptiste, who I'm going to talk about in a little bit? Does she have the weapons of some of her other young cohort in the uh, WTA Top 100 right now, players like Ann Lee and Amanda Anisimova? No, she doesn't quite have the flashy game, the weapons that those players do, the, you know, the obvious power that eventually leads to success on the WTA Tour, but Valinets has such a well-rounded game, and it's worth noting she and Jensen Brooksby come from the same, you know, uh, come from the same coaching tree. Uh, Joe Gilbert, excuse me, I can't believe I blanked on the name there. And I mean, again, such a well-rounded skill set. She competes so well. She moves the direction of the ball so well around the court, and doesn't have, you know, again the the biggest weapons, but plays high percentage tennis, much like Jensen does, and the numbers reflect that fact. She, you know, made eighty percent. Uh, excuse me, 73% of her first serves last season. Now, was only winning 60% of those points, 45% of her second serve points. It was winning 43% of her return points. That's pretty darn good uh, for someone who, again, doesn't have the overwhelming weapons, isn't blasting return winners, but just plays high percentage tennis, as is the Gilbert model. Uh, model. And, you know, we saw it pay off for Jensen physically. Something clicked for him last season. And just, again, how steady he is throughout the course of a match. Valinets has a very similar quality there. And, look, she played a bunch of matches close throughout the course of last season. It was tough for her. You look just, again, in 2021, how many three-set losses uh, she suffered throughout the course of the season. I believe you look overall. And let's see here. I want to be uh, I want to be correct here. Yeah, she played 22 three-set matches, 10 and 12 in those three-setters. You look at who some of the losses were to Heather Watson, Cincinnati qualifying Claire Liu in the Tyler 80K, Misaki Doi in the Midland, uh, I believe 100, 125K, 7-6 in the third. She played a bunch of tight matches last season and, you know, again, at one point had lost six three-set matches in a row during the summer. I'm expecting a bounce back from, uh, excuse me, not a bounce back, but another step forward from Katie Valinets this season. And it doesn't surprise me at all to see her ultimately qualify for this Australian Open. And you look again what she was able to do uh, throughout the course of the action. Beats fellow American Hannah Chang in straight sets. Beats Lazaro Garcia in straight sets. Beats Bjorkland in straight sets. She cruised on her way to the main draw. Now she's got a very winnable match against Beatrice Haddad Maya, who, as I mentioned, she played throughout the course of last season and I believe was able to get a victory over. And so, again, when you look for uh, Katie Valinets, look for her to do some damage here uh, over the course of this Australian Open. That, again, is a very, I don't want to say ideal draw, but it's a very, very winnable first round match for her and you know again you know that match that they played was on grass courts at Wimbledon but I'm interested I'm very interested to see where Katie Valiance goes because again it's not the weapons of a Baptiste or a McNally where the serve the forehand you can just tell it fits but Katie Valiance does a lot of things well on a tennis court so just keep an eye out for her again very winnable first round match against Beatrice Haddad Maya of course, since I continue to refer to Haley Baptiste, let's talk about her run and, and her ability to get through here to the main draw of this Australian Open. You look for Baptiste, a little bit more drama in her pathway. Two three-set wins, a straight-set win over number four seed Nina Stojanovic in her second-round qualifying match as well. She's now going to match up with an unseeded but always dangerous Caroline Garcia. And look, the numbers for Haley Baptiste last season— not exceptional. She goes 18 and 21 overall. However, I do think context is key 
when looking at that record. She qualifies in Roland Garros last season, actually gets a first-round win over Blinkova as well, beats Claire Liu in the qualifying rounds. Claire Liu now in the top 100 before getting knocked out by Sonia Kennan. She then qualifies for Berlin on the grass courts before getting knocked out first round by Pagula. Gets a first-round win over Duncan Kovinovich at the Chicago 125K before losing in three sets to Clara Toss. And you look at her at some of the other stops down the home stretch. Wins at a Columbus 125K before getting knocked out by the two-seed Parises. Diaz gets a win over Jasmine Paulini in Chicago before getting knocked out in three by Vika. Certainly, if you're Haley Baptiste, ending to the season wasn't great. Four straight losses, five straight if you include the Azarenka, but four straight to Trevisan, Navarro, first round straight sets in and the Tyler 80K, first round uh, three sets in Midland to Danielle Lau. Yeah, that's not the ending she was looking for. But prior to that and prior to the start of the season where she lost, you know, 60K and a 25K in Orlando and Rome, Georgia, respectfully, a lot of consistency for Haley Baptiste, a lot of qualifying success, a lot of first-round matches, first-match victories throughout the course of last season. As such, I thought it was a step forward for her, and she reached a career-high 160 at the end of last year, currently 168 starting the year. That's why, in my opinion, it's that much more impressive given how poor her ending of the season was for her to get through qualifying here in the uh, and make it to this main draw of the Australian Open. And again, you know, she's got a very winnable match against Caroline Garcia, who's not playing particularly well over the past six months. And you look for Baptiste again and look at the numbers for her over the last 52 weeks. She's only making 55% of her first serves. That's not going to get the job done. That number has to be higher. But she's winning 71% of her first serve points. And again, I referred to this with Volinet. It's very, very clear. Haley Baptiste has the plus one sort of power, has the sort of serve that can uh, earn her easy plus one opportunities to have success on the WTA Tour, and she's got the speed for it as well. She's got exceptional instincts on when to move forward, can be a bit aggressive on the approach shots, but when she hits them, uh, obviously with precision and with depth, the power and the speed she can produce, certainly uh, there's a spot for her in the WTA Top 100 moving forward. Now, again, it's about the consistency, and you know I do think moving to the backhand, she's a little less fluid than she is moving to the forehand. I do like the way she hits through the backhand, though, and Again, she just plays at the speed where she's not intimidated by the ball of her opponent. And she knows, hey, when I'm clicking and I'm locked in, I can take your pace and I can add a little bit more to it coming right back at you. And I just think that quality matters. And, you know, you look for Haley Baptiste. Not only did she qualify Roland Garros last year, she got a main draw look at the U.S. Open. Lost first round to Zhang. That's a match she should have won. But, you know, she's had some Grand Slam experiences. You know, two, uh, she's played three main draws before. And this is number four, obviously, for her first in Australia, those sorts of things matter. And again, you look for Baptiste now with these, you know, a victory over uh, over Caroline Garcia. Now she's top 150 in the world, bordering top 130, inching closer and closer to the top 100. Again, Baptiste doesn't turn 21 years old till November. So very, very nascent parts, stages of her career. And just, you see the growth, the opportunities for growth as well in her game. Certainly doesn't have that many points to defend throughout the course of the season. If she's able to play even at the 80K level, 100K level, find some success there. Any success she has at the WTA Tour is a cherry on top of that. And obviously the key, she's in that Grand Slam qualifying range. This success, the Roland Garros success, proves she can work her way into main draws as well. Super impressed by Haley Baptiste, who again earns herself a spot in the main draw in Australia. 
Two others I want to just talk about quickly. Caroline Dallahide had a brutal 2021. She goes 10-22 overall, and you look for her in that 10-22 stretch. Uh, again, just a bunch of different things broke against her throughout the course of the season. You look at her results in three set matches. I mean, it was it was tough. You look for her four and sixteen overall throughout the course of last season. So again, she's ten and twenty three overall in the year. Sixteen of her twenty three losses came in three sets, and you know she's six and seven in the matches decided in straight sets. For what it's worth, but you know you look at where a lot of those losses occurred. Guadalajara qualifying, you know, or Guadalajara first round, excuse me, Charleston qualifying, Miami qualifying, Grand Slam qualifying, 125K first rounds. She's trying to make that push to that next level to get closer to that top 100, which she's already been near during her career. Caroline Dalahide, number 102 back in 2018. She's currently 200 in the rankings. And again, you only earn 10 wins on a season, even if they are at the 100K and, you know, WTA level. It's going to be very, very difficult to keep a top 200, top 150 sort of ranking, but no one's ever denied Caroline Dalahide has the talent. There's a reason she's been a top 50 doubles player already in her career. Her ability to strike the serve, strike the plus one forehand, her willingness to move forward, her ability as a volleyer. She's also got an outstanding work ethic. I've had the chance to see her at tournaments, you know, after matches, back on the practice court, and, you know, she's someone who's thoroughly dedicated to becoming the best tennis player she can be, and you know, again, that's why it's way too early, 23 years old, to write off Caroline Dalahide. She has the weapons. It's about, again, being able to channel them consistently and finding more fluidity in the outer thirds of the court, playing defensively, being able to turn that defense back into offense, back into front foot tennis where she plays her best. You look for Caroline Dalahide. Again, she was able to do that uh, throughout the course of her qualifying victories in uh, Australia. You look at what she was able to do uh, in particular, you know, straight set wins in all three of her matches. Now, did not have the toughest draw, uh, but certainly has a tough one in match number one. She's going to take on number 27 seed and fellow American Danielle Collins. Still, I mean, there's nothing but a bounce back possible for Caroline Dalhide. If there's a worse season than 2021, certainly we'll all be scratching our head, but you could argue already just via qualifying for this Grand Slam. It is a step in the right direction for Caroline Dalhide, and you look for her overall throughout the course of her career in Grand Slams. Dalhide 16 and 17. You look for her overall again. How many main draws has she played? This is going to be her sixth main draw. First in Australia, she's now played the main draw at every Grand Slam. She's never gotten a wild card into those main draws either. Has always earned it the hard way. Thus, she has played over 33, or 33 Grand Slam matches now, 36 Grand Slam matches in her career. 36 total, including qualifying is what I'm trying to say. Point being, this is a step in the right direction for Caroline Dallahide to start her season. So just keep an eye on her. Uh, again, I it wouldn't shock me at all if she cracks the top 100 in singles at some point in her career. Obviously, has already done it on the doubles point. And I just got to give one last shout-out to a fellow Wolverine. Shout-out to you, Amina Bechtis, into a Grand Slam main draw for the first time in her career. And you look for Bechtis already this season. Qualified into the 60K in uh, tr- uh, Tralagon. I'm not going to butcher that uh, butcher that pronunciation, but you know makes the semifinals there uh, already to start the season. And you look for her over the course of the last 52 weeks, 30 and 21 overall, made a final and won the title at the 60K in Nevada. You know was playing a bunch of uh, ITF events, 60Ks in Rome, 100Ks in Florida, just seeking qualifying and playing matches wherever she can. Gets in to qualifying at San Jose as an 
alternate, beats Caroline Garcia, uh, excuse me, beats Ellen Perez, beats Katie Volleynets before getting knocked out first round by Caroline Garcia. But what a fantastic moment for Bechtis, who, you know, 28 years old, 216 in the world. That's her career high right now, and this is a first for her. Qualifying into the, that Grand Slam proves that, again, the continued improvements, that slow and steady development, there's more upside to the former All-Americans game, and it's just fantastic moment for her, fantastic for us Wolverine Nation to be able to root her on moving forward. Fantastic stuff from Amina Bechtis, who, again, again, able to get into the main draw through qualifying at a Grand Slam for the first time in her career. Those were the Americans who stood out, and obviously there were other Americans uh, throughout the draw. You talk about the American on American crime with Amina Bechtis knocking out Christina McHale, who knocked out my pick, Francesca DiLorenzo, in that section of the draw. A couple of sure things advanced. Like, there was no doubt for me Stephanie Vogel was going to advance. She gets a three-set win over Indy DeVroom in that final. But, that was, uh, you know, again, I was fairly certain Vogel was going to qualify. Uh, fairly certain Rebecca Marina was going to as well. Three-set win for her, though. Some drama over number eight seed Rakamova in the final round of qualifying. Serenko, six seed. She was through. Tomova, five seed. She was through. Not unexpected at all. Trevisan, the number two seed, getting through. I thought Govartsova might get her in that final round qualifying. Trevisan, two good, two and three. She advances into the main draw. You know, again, there are other performers throughout. I was shocked to see Hartona, the former uh, university, uh, Arian, excuse me, Hartona. I, I don't know why I just referred to her by her last name, but Arian Hartono, former Ole Miss standout. Uh, she advances into the main draw. Three-set win over number 17 seed Niemeyer in the final round of qualifying. You love to see that. Shout-out to the Dart. Harriet Dart threw in straight sets as well. And again, plenty of fun qualifying action up and down the board. We'll talk about which qualifiers and which unseeded players are most dangerous in our draw previews. Those episodes coming out on Sunday. Of course, with Sunday will come our Ace of the Day picks as well as we get ready for the 2022 Australian Open to begin tomorrow night here in the United States. We'll have tons of coverage for you throughout the two weeks. Of course, those that coverage, uh, including daily recap episodes, daily picks for you, matches of the day segments for our Patreon subscribers. We're ready to rock and roll, and we hope you'll come on the ride with us. But, of course, there are my thoughts on women's qualifying. This podcast is going to get on the longer side. I apologize for that. You want to hear about the men's qualifying now. And, of course, no better person to talk men's qualifying with than our guest on today's show. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with... The one and only Damien Koost. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you know him as the host of the Monday episode of the Great Shot Podcast, a contributor to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Last word on tennis, popcorn tennis. You've read him just about everywhere. Of course, you're certainly following him on tennis Twitter as well. It is our friend, Damien Coos. Damien, welcome back to the show. Happy almost birthday. We're two hours, 20 minutes away as of this recording, but Westoff still throwing that 
birthday sound effect. How are you doing today, my friend? Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm very glad to be here talking about the qualifiers. This is one of my favorite topics always. So, you know, Grand Slam qualifying, basically like a huge challenger event. What's not like it's, you know, it's the best week of the season. I mean, it, it just went but but i mean you know th yeah. there's plenty of excitement coming uh, of course as well My and even you know the qualifiers how they're gonna how they're gonna fare at all yeah and of course that's what we want to discuss today my favorite part about qualifying weeks is when there's also challengers going on simultaneously and it's like we're going deep this week it's like anyone who wants a playing opportunity you're going to get that playing opportunity and you know, I'm sure you and Jakob are going to recap qualifying and the challengers that happened this week on your podcast on Monday. But, like, Paul Jubb quarterfinals, I was in on that. I'm obviously former NCAA champion, and it felt like guys like that got their opportunities this week on the challenger tour. I am curious, though, because I want to create a permission structure for our listeners so that they know they're not the only ones doing this. Have you adjusted your sleep schedule as well? I'm at, like, a solid get up you know i'll probably get up by 11 noon i'll take like a you know a quick nap from like four to six and then it's up six to three a.m four a.m i've adjusted to australia time are you doing something similar yeah i think that australia is a little tougher for me probably yeah. even uh the qualies were starting at midnight and going on until like 10 a.m so you know during the during the week i i mostly just didn't sleep at night at all <laughs> I slept in some very weird hours, depending <laughs> on if I had to go to the university or not. Like, for example, yesterday, yesterday I went to sleep at 2 p.m., I believe, or something like that. Sure. Um, it, it's really tough. Uh, and it, it also made me skip some of the challengers <laughs> in yeah. Forli in, uh, and in Blumenau because I simply had to sleep at some point. <laughs> uh, but you know, just two more weeks of this madness. It has its charm for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, the good news is you can always watch the challenger replays somewhere. So yes. those matches aren't going anywhere. But yeah, it's first of all, I'm so envious of those college hours. That was like my strike zone. But yeah, it's. It's certainly an interesting one to watch. And guess what? Everyone in Australia probably says that about our events, Damien. And I think Europe, you know, Europe to North America, it's not that difficult to translate. So I think the time zone switch pretty easy for the, you know, French Open, Wimbledon, all of those European events. But yeah, this is the funky one. And as such, I will say this, for a man who has not been getting much sleep, you look wonderful. Like you look rejuvenated here. And I got to ask, what is it, 22nd birthday? Uh, 23rd. 23rd happy 23rd us. it's your michael jordan year you'll take it you're the greatest <laughs> of all time uh, sure i mean I, I i never you know i've never been 23 so i don't know how it's gonna feel but... <laughs> let me tell you uh, it feels good that's the age though where things start to get creaky where you're just like oh okay i played tennis yesterday and i do feel a little bit sore today or at least for me because mm -hmm. i stopped playing as frequently anyways people don't want to hear that they want to hear our thoughts on qualifying at this Australian Open. And, of course, to the point you made a bit earlier, it really is on the men's side in particular a giant challenger draw. Players rank, you know, 101-ish to like 270 in the world, all competing. One location, of course. It's three matches you got to win to get into Australian Open qualifying. Only two out of three sets in the final. Some slams, they play three out of five in that final match. Not the case in Australia we also had fun doing this beforehand. We submitted some picks on Twitter. Jeff Sackman turned it into an article. That's always enjoyable as well. But, you know, there's a lot of different angles. And I want to start with the men's qualifying with you, Damien. There's a lot of different directions we could go that, uh, with this. But I want to start here. Who was your most impressive player? 
through the qualifying run. Who's the guy that stood out to you, whether it be the victories he had, the level he showed? Who stood out the most? I've got two picks for this one, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure which one to start with. Uh, one is certainly very off-meta, and it's Timofei Skato. Sure. Uh, one we would have never picked. I mean, it, it was a bit of a weird section with Grenier having that COVID issues and all. Uh, you picked Varias, right? To, to win it. I believe so, that, so yes. Yeah, that was a weird section. Uh, but yeah, the, I picked him because him and I are birthday brothers, October 6, 95, <laughs> so I got to roll with yeah. him always. Yeah, but Skatov, I mean, especially as he had Grenier in the in the opening round, I never would have predicted. Uh, it's very funny because last year there was this match in Nur Sultan that he played against well the recently retired Martin Klijan, and Klijan defeated him in a third set tiebreaker and told him after the match that he's basically not gonna achieve anything if he doesn't learn to inject power, learn to hit winners. And it's pretty much what he did here for the very first time, I think. Like, the forehand was as good as I've ever seen it. Uh, as for pure winners, I mean, the stats probably weren't that impressive, but just the, the way he was able to control points with it, with it was just, you know, he never had that before. He was overly passive. He when 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 uh, when the opponent was redlining or just playing very well, he never really was able to have you know, opposed to that in any way. Uh, I think against Dane Sweeney, he had nine forehand winners, but but the, I mean the other matches not not as many. But just the way that that he's now a great grinder, but also with a serious weapon, and that can. You know, that can imp uh, help him in his career massively. I think every single time, uh, like Skatov is considered as one of the guys who will stagnate soon, and still he keeps breaking these barriers. And this could be another step forward. I don't know if he's one of the most dangerous qualifiers, probably not. But just just the if we're talking about guys who impressed, whom I didn't expect to perform this well, then Skatov has to be the peak for me. So let's start there before I uh, let you get to guy number two. You look for Timofey Skatov, who, of course, 22 years old now, turns 22, excuse me, uh, 21 at the end of this month. Uh, he's up to number 255 in the world coming into this event. That's nine off his career high, which he reached at the end of last season. And from a age curve projection wise to be 250 in the world by the time you're 21 years old that's pretty close to where you want to be for the majority of players of course world number ones you know they make that jump a little bit sooner but for timothy skatov it's been a pretty linear ascent towards the top of the atp and you know again top 200 with perspective you are in the top 20 percentile in terms of ranking and you know again I think it's so fascinating you talk about an unexpected qualifier that he is. You know, the guy's one in one in his career in ATP level matches. Got a wild card, I believe, last year into Nur Sultan, which, let's be clear, slowest hard courts probably in all of tennis, like that indoor hard court. I mean, it just soaks up the ball. But, you know, you look for him in his career even beyond that. 22 and 21 overall at the challenger level. That is not a significant amount of success that would lead you to believe he would have a run like this. And, you know, you want to go even further nitty gritty than that. He's two and four in his career, Damian, hard courts at the challenger level. I mean, again, talk about unexpected. And yet, when you look for him throughout the course of this week, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't like a cupcake draw, right? He actually had to earn, you know, his way through. And you look at the victories he's able to earn, whether it's over Grinier again, first match, or Sweeney or Augusto Elias, who's played really, really good tennis of late. 
he earned his way through. I mean, he, this guy is fit as a fiddle. I like. I, I don't think that's going to be the issue for him moving forward. He plays at the speed. And I do think foundationally, like pretty condensed ground strokes. You're right. He doesn't inject much pace in a, in a neutral rally ball sort of situation. But it's not as though he lacks the pace, right? The way I always view it is it's Tommy Polish, right? Where the athleticism is clearly there. He can up his level of pace when, you know, when the moment calls for it. He just needs to pick those spots a little bit more frequently and a little bit better moving forward. Not just a little bit, by the way, a lot better. Yeah, I mean, before this week, he he definitely wasn't picking them often enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way he played his forehand in these three matches just tells me that there's still plenty of things he can can improve on. And and if you you ask me before, yeah, as you said, the the Challenger win-loss records weren't great. Uh, one final in Almaty last year, but but on clay. So this was this was just totally out of the blue. But if he keeps it up, then then I'm I really wouldn't be surprised if he if he makes another leap this year. And and you're you're right that his his progress has been very gradual, step by step, and, and it's a nice track of progress. <laughs> I would take it. Yeah, no, and you'll like this. You know what he is? Fluid, Damien. Very very <laughs> fluid athlete as he moves around the court. All right, sure. I'm I'm gonna interject a name here as well, and then I obviously I want to get back to you. How about Liam freaking Brody? Like, talk about most difficult run to get through to uh, challenge uh, to get through to this main draw. You look for Liam Brody. Obviously, the highlight he beats Sifilian in the final three sets. Roman so good at the ATP Cup that was a uh, you know spectacular win. But it was three sets along the way. You know, three sets over JJ Wolf, who I think we both agree on hard court certainly a top one hundred sort of guy. Beats Casper Zouk as well in his first round matchup. I mean, three three set victories. Over three guys also trying to make pushes towards that top 100. First round matchup now with Nick Kyrgios that is fascinating. But you look off for Brody coming off of a career year, right? Won his first challenger titles in singles last year and, you know, inching closer and closer to that top 100. I, he to me is the most impressive performer just simply by how difficult that path was. Yeah, but by far the most difficult for sure. I mean, he's always so unpleasant to play. Might not, might not have the explosive potential that some of these guys have, or most of the players in the main draw. But 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 he's just very you know an opponent who can who who knows how to win. Certainly, he he simply knows how to win ugly. He knows how to uh, how to make the opponent suffer. And he I mean, Joke Wolf Safiulin. Against Safiulin, I mean, he probably should have lost, actually. You know, mm-hmm. Safiulin was 6-4-5 to up and then lost the next three games to Love, I believe. So so he just really didn't step up when needed. But, but I mean, Brody, uh, you know, he got, he got, as you mentioned, he got over that, uh, that mental block he had with, the, with seven Challenger finals lost last year. And uh, there's certainly a, a universe where Liam, William Brody makes uh, the top 100 soon. And it might be our universe. <laughs> well, so is there any Aslan... You know, you wrote a piece a couple mm-hmm. months ago looking for the future Aslan Karatsevs, the guys who, outside the top 100, have never cracked the top 100, 26 years old or older, but could maybe make that push. It's hard to deny Liam Brody can't make that push, particularly you look where he's at at this point of the season for Brody, who I believe right now you look in the live rankings, number 128, you know, 28 years old. He gets another win in Australia. He's going to push closer and closer to that top 100. And again, you look for him, the points he has to defend here early in the year. It is difficult because he made, you know, 
uh, Challenger final, Challenger semifinal, back-to-back last year in South Africa to start the season. You know, Biela, he makes a Challenger final there at the start of March as well. The difference being, with his ranking as it is, he kind of has two options. He could probably go play the South American clay court swing if he wants to risk it. And I know traditionally you would think that's not his best surface. You want him on a quicker surface, letting him play that aggressive tennis. Lefty loves to move forward. That said, that's the opportunity for growth, right? Go play ATP events. You win two first-round matches. You match your point title from the challenger level. Delray Beach is in the mix as well. Maybe go play the indoor clay in Houston. It is an interesting time for Liam Brody because he's got a bunch of points to defend. But from a ranking perspective, this is the strike zone where guys like him get to play ATP-level matches. Yeah, I mean, South America is... I'm not sure I like that idea with with how he's performing on clay usually. But he could certainly go to... uh, Maybe he can sneak into some of the European indoor events as well. And as you said, the States is a a good direction since he would be playing Indian Wells anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, quality's probably right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Depending on if he, uh, how he does at the Australian Open, I guess maybe maybe he would make it into the main draw. But but the States is a good direction too. Yeah, um, I didn't didn't mention Brody in the article. I don't know if I regret that. Uh, I remember, you know, at first when I started writing that, I was mostly thinking of an Aslan an Aslan Karatsev rise like uh, like rise. So maybe uh, I don't know. It's hard to you know, give numbers, but maybe something like a top 50 or something like this. And I just never really saw that potential in, in Brody. I always figured that if he's going to make it to the top 100, then like the you know, 70, 80 is, is the maximum potential. Uh, then I in, probably included some players just thinking about uh, the top 100. But I guess the methodology was just not perfect when I was no. writing this. It's fair. But, but, I could have included him, yeah. Yeah, for then sure. you, you look for Brody, two and three in his career in Grand Slam first round matches. Four of the five have been at Wimbledon. Can you tell me where the one other one was? Uh, which slam? Yeah, which slam? I, I think it's I think it's the French. It is the French of all of the slams. Liam Brody qualifies into the 2020 French Open. Go play South America, right? No, I'm just it's it's an interesting. You're right. I, the difference is, will he go play qualies at? To your point, the European indoors, or will he go play Delray? Did he play? Did he, did he, oh, okay. I, oh, I, I 2020, he played Yuri Vesely. Vesely, okay. Yeah, four sets, first round. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't remember the match, but I, I think I looked at his Wikipedia or something like two days yeah. ago. That's why I knew it was the French. Normally, I would obviously say a hardcore one, probably the US Open. Yeah, no, but again, for Brody, lefty, tricky game. Again, it's going to be fun to watch him play Kyrgios. That's a, that's a fascinating little first round matchup. All right. You said you had a second guy who stood out to you from the qualifying results. Who is that second guy? Yeah, this one is mostly about serving stats. Okay. <laughs> and it's Taro Daniel. Uh, Interesting. I mean, I, uh, it was a very important point for me in the battle against you and Ilo because <laughs> both you and Ilo picked uh, Caruso and you know the, the, the final round of qualifying between the two was, was pivotal for my very small victory. Uh, <laughs> anyhow... Uh, ever since the start of the year, he's been posting some ridiculous stats. Uh, I believe I was checking that on, on Tennis Abstract actually just just like two days ago, and his ace percentage for the whole for his whole career on hardcourt is like 4.7 or 4.5. Uh, in the first six matches he played this year, so before the Caruso one, it was about 10 percent. 
against Oten Musetki he hit 12 each. Uh, then, and then against Caruso he uh, managed to score 14 aces in 41 points uh, on serve. So it's over 33%. I have no idea how he's done it and if it's gonna, you know, if it's gonna persist. But over the seven matches that he played against uh, Arnaboldi, Moroni, Caruso, Winter, Ote, Musetti, and Paul. I mean, in every single one of them, basically. Maybe, maybe the Paul one was a little bit off because he got broken like five times and only only had three aces. But that that was like the outlier. But the other six were absolutely fabulous serving performances. And with a guy like Daniel, who has you know, the baseline game, you you have very little to you know to, <laughs> to want more from from his from his game from the ground. And a serve like that could really even turn his career around, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's a guy who's played 17 main draws at Grand Slams coming into this. He's a guy who has proven, he, to your point, the ground strokes are not the issue for him. The speed is not the issue for him. And so to see the rejuvenated serve, I think it's a really good point. And again, I, I do think he was one of the standout performers and uh, has really played good ball here to start the season. All right, I want to rapid fire through some of these. And again, please feel free to offer takes. We talk about this guy every time you're on here. We have an excuse to this time. Yuri Lachetska into the main draw. Straight sets over Purcell. Beats Popko in that qualifying final in three sets as well. I mean, I don't, you know, again, it's not just him. I've asked you to write about the young Czechs before, the young Argentinians before, Thomas Matchek. He's into the main draw as well. You look at for the Argentinians. Echeverry into the main draw. I thought, you know, for Tabilo to continue his success as well from ATP Cup, great to see him capitalize on that, get into the main draw as well. Start with the young Czechs, two of them into the main draw. Your thoughts on their performance? I mean, if you're if we're talking about tough routes to qualify, like Safiulins, oh, I mean, not Safiulins, but Brodies, uh, Lehechka is probably the second one. Yeah. Mo, Persil, and Popko. Obviously, Persil kind of stands out, but not in Australia. He actually played well at the Aussie in the past. I think in the past three or four years, he played a five-setter at, in the main draw or something like this. Popko was an awful matchup. I was I was really afraid of this of this one. Uh, I, I you know Popko is for a player that um, and sometimes has his rally tolerance. You know, tested and it's it, it's it doesn't pass at, at times obviously not 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 always uh popko is just drastic to play i would i would absolutely hate to play Dimitri popko if i <laughs> if i was a professional tennis player and Lechka, you know managed to do that it's very important for him because he was so close at the us open lost to ilka in the in the final qualifying round and now he's done it. Uh, we've obviously been expecting that this, but it's still very reassuring. Uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about like the, the draws of the qualifiers later, or, or should no, I just mention it No, feel free to get into him now. Uh, I definitely have a question, but yeah, feel free. Yeah, but I mean, he's playing Dimitrov, and it, if he plays well, that, that can be a real blockbuster, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think he's you know, expected to win this or anything. Surely not. But it, he, he has a very life chance against Dimitrov. And then, if he won, the second round is, uh, I believe, Benoit Per or Thiago Monteiro. And that that's probably a matchup, regardless of who wins, where Lehechka would be the favorite, which is pretty crazy. 
that he'd be the favorite in in a in a grand slam second round already i mean i'm not even talking about the hedge cut city pass in the yeah. third round. that's something uh, insane but yeah very reassuring and and a very tough path and and i mean mahaj 8-0 to start the year what else do you want mm-hmm. i have i have previously stated that uh this this is like a make or break year for me in terms of mahaj because I feel like 2021, there hasn't really been that much improvement. He mostly stayed around the same spot ranking-wise. And for me, his game also stayed around the same level, the same ideas. And 2022 has already brought an end to that. Because even even though he obviously qualified for slams, one slam before, right? The Australian mm-hmm. Open as well. Uh, he, he, he qualified for a slam before, but to go 8-0, to go... The, you know the the set against Ugo Carabelli that we had, that he had in the first round was obviously pretty disastrous, but since then I, I believe he was never even broken, absolutely destroyed everyone. Uh, Jesper de Jong he also beat Intraralgon uh, the week before, mm-hmm. uh, but both times even though de Jong is playing very well right now it was so comfortable and I I don't think that much has improved about his uh, attacking possibilities you know the aggression that he gets. Uh, I believe he's been serving extremely well and also just playing points like you know just using more percentage play just not not often not not always going for the for the big shots when not needed but you know just pretty comfortable to relax roll the ball in which was very important in his uh, Tralgon final against Fatangelo for example mm-hmm. especially as Bjorn was, was sort of tired after after the matches he played earlier against Kruger and uh, Lohetka, I believe. Yeah, Lohetka. Uh, so I, I, um, that's what I believe is is better against about Mahat right now. And also, just like Lohetka, he's a, I mean, even better draw than, than Lohetka because he plays Juan Manuel Serundo in the in the opening round. So that's, he should win that. He's the favorite. Yes, that's he's a huge favorite of this, like on hard courts. 100%. See, this is why, first of all, my friend, it's always great to have you back. This is why, even when it's not your birthday, there's always a spot open for you here. I've said this before about Lecheczka. I'll say it again. I I see a lot of Marcos Giron, but a little bit better. Like, I think he's a little quicker. I think he can inject a little bit more pace. But that way, they both like to take the ball a little bit on the rise, even when they're behind the baseline. There's just an earliness with which they strike the ball and an elasticness, right, in their ground strokes when they're on the run. Like, I think Lechechka hits the on-the-run forehand the same way Giron does. I actually think Lechechka is a little bit more aggressive and can get more drive on his backhand as well. And again, a slightly better Marcos Giron. Am I saying that's a top 20 player in the world? No, I'm not there yet. But you look for Yuri Lechechka, who now by qualifying, I believe currently number 142 in the live rankings, four off his career high, 138, 20 years old. Like, and this guy had so much challenger success throughout the course of last season that he qualifies for this first Grand Slam, goes through, as you mentioned, a gauntlet of a draw. That matters. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting because does he have enough pace, particularly on the serve, to bother Dimitrov's backhand return? Because that's fundamentally, obviously, where you want to start the point when you're playing Grigor, keep him stretched. If If you get him in the outer thirds of the court but offer him some time to hit that ball clean, I mean... 
Grigor is his fluidity. He, there it is for you again. Uh, you know, that's what may, separates him from everyone else is that shot making he can uh, explore in his improvisational skills. Does Lechechka have big enough weapons to hurt him? I think that's a serious question. For Mahach, uh, Mahach, say it for me one more time. I have no clue if it's right, but I would yeah. say Thomas Mahach. But... Yeah. For TM, we'll call him TM. All right, for is, TM. Is he, you know, th- does he have a recording Mahach. of this? I've looked. Yeah, I don't think so on the ATP yeah. tour. You can look this up. We'll no, stay he, does not. he does yeah, not. Yeah, that's no. the issue. So for TM, our guy, I agree with you. Like now things – I think you you laid it out perfectly, especially because at the, he came out electric at the start of last season, right? I believe a challenger title and I want to say another final as well. Um, no, the final was in uh, July, so... Okay, so a little bit later in the year. But, you know, for him, I think on the indoor hard courts in particular, he's a guy who's just, so, I think, the foundation of his game. Just rock solid, right? Really high floor from match to match. Doesn't wow you with his weapons off the ground, but does a good job taking the ball early. I just think a very clean game. Dare I say, it reminds me a little of Redu Elbot. I know that's a weird comparison there, but it, it's like a slight, you know, in that round where there's just like, you know, Redu doesn't overwhelm you with anything, but like they're both just solid. They're just very solid so- tennis players. This is a good result for him. And now he does have the chance, as you mentioned, to play a guy in uh, Sarandolo who doesn't have the biggest weapons to hurt him and will allow him time to get into his plays, take the ball early, move forward. It's an interesting matchup to me. And I think both of these guys, I mean, I would say for Mahach in particular, he's got the opportunity now to really, you know, this would be a big win for him. Lechechka, you know, rankings-wise, 142. He's a little bit more comfortable. You look for our boy TM, uh, again, I believe as of right now. Let me see. Where is he uh, in the rankings? 132. Okay, so, yeah, yeah 132. Uh, so, you know, two off his career high. But, you know, you look for him, again, 21 years old. It's a great moment for both of these guys. And I think there's some others as well, whether you look at Tomas Martin Echeverry, who gets in. He's 131 in the world, 22 years old. I'm actually really happy Escobedo gets a lucky loser into this event because I do think he's playing well enough to be in the main draw. He's at 141. I think, again, a bunch of guys played very, very well throughout the course of this qualifying. And it's guys we've seen succeed at the challenger level over the past 12 months. Any guys I'm missing out on? Obviously, the Nikola Miljevic, for him to qualify, not exactly a guy you pencil in for hardcourt success, speaks to these conditions in Australia, but also speaks to him, 26 years old. If he's going to make a top 100 push, it's probably now. Um, you know, anyone else stand out to you? Yeah, I, I would totally second that Escobedo, you know, that Escobedo deserves to be in the main draw. If we're looking at worthy final round of qualifying losers, then Escobedo, Safiulin definitely stand out. I think Safiulin needs three more withdrawals to get mm-hmm. in, so it's quite unlikely at the moment. Uh, you, you mentioned his name, but Tabilo was... I mean, the first round was obviously tougher than we expected against uh, James McCabe, um, but McCabe played very well. And since then, Tabilo was just as you wanted him to be. I mean, just as just as good as he was at the ATP Cup. Uh, looking at his game right now, I am very, like, I, I I am very surprised that I considered him at least before the summer of 2021. Uh, you know, a sort of a clay one trick. Uh, looking at his game right now, I'm like, why wasn't he successful on hard courts before? Because it it just totally makes sense that 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 this big lefty game can do extremely well here. Uh, who is he playing? Like he he got a tough draw, Alcaraz, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so that's 
that's obviously a very tough. Uh, Alcaraz hasn't played since contracting COVID, uh, so you know, maybe there's some rust involved, maybe there's some fitness issues involved. Uh, but Tabilo is certainly one of the players who could uh, win a match or two if being, you know, if, if they were given a different section of the draw. You know, place Tabilo in the uh, in the you know, replace Tabilo with Mahach and Mahach with Tabilo, and then it's Tabilo beating Serundolo and Mahach probably not having a much of a shot against Alcaraz. So so he was just a bit unlucky with the draw there, but certainly playing like top 100 tennis at the moment. How about Barrios Vera, who you look overall in his career, I want to say at the challenger level, he's played 31 hard court matches, 15 and 16 in those 31 matches. It's a pretty nice qualifying run for the 24-year-old. He also qualified for Wimbledon, right? Yeah. That that was unexpected. He he defeated Kamil Maikshak in the final qualifying round at Wimbledon. Uh, I remember that was uh, quite a bit of a shock. Like everyone was just penciling in Maikshak in the main draw already. Here the section was certainly one of the weaker ones as well. Uh, I wouldn't say that the run beating Miller, Tirante, and Horansky on on hard courts is something ridiculous but uh, it, it's great that he's showing the ability to play on other surfaces as well along along with Wimbledon um, I was recent this is so off topic but I was recently looking at Chile's Davis Cup team mm-hmm. and I was like super shocked at how good they are right now I, I was looking at it because I was wondering like who was a better draw for Poland than Portugal which sure. was worse uh, from you know for the Davis Cup World Group uh, one is it's it's World Group World Group one playoffs I think but anyhow and Chile has Jari Tabilo Garin and Barrios Vera like that's if you get them uh, you know away on uh, on their let, let's say on their continent in Chile in on clay courts that's literally impossible to beat. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but that was no it's <laughs> it's, it's, was... it's completely first of all this is again why we love having you. I enjoyed watching that Chile team compete at the ATP Cup because they do have some sneaky talent. Nicolas Iari as well, just, you know, if he can get his feet back under him. Um, and, I mean, talk about a serve forehand that belongs in the top 100. But, no, again, it, it was a really fun round of qualifying, I think. And two other guys I want to give a shout-out to, a couple of former collegiate players, you know, Yannick Hoffman and Emilio Gomez, by the way, Fun fact for you, Damien, on the 2012 USC National Championship winning team, which I would argue is probably the best men's team of the of the century, you know, 2000s onward. I mean, Virginia would like to have a word with me, but you look at what they had. Steve Johnson, obviously top 30 guy in the world at number one singles. Two was Ray Sarmiento, who I will still argue has the closest approximation to Roger Federer's forehand that I've ever seen, um, but heck of a college player Daniel Wynn who lost one NCAA match he was at three singles but then listen to this powerhouse Damien four singles Emilio Gomez five singles Yannick Hoffman who clinches the national championship for the team six singles do you know who it was trivia question for you of course not Roberto Quiroz was the number six singles players that's a heck of a lot I mean six guys who are all top 400 or better uh who was the number three? Because maybe I misunderstood. Daniel Nguyen is a little before your time. Daniel well, Nguyen was done playing, I want to say, 16, 17 range was probably okay. when he hung it up. Um, yeah, heck of a player. Tons of future success. You mean the, uh, okay, I just, okay, I understood the, the name wrong. I guess I just never really heard it. 
actually. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay, so the, the Vietnamese guy, right? Okay, uh, well, I, I, I think, you know, he's from the U.S., like, but yeah. Yeah, but he, I think he's representing Vietnam now. Like, he, he changed. He, you might be right, actually. He might have changed. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I don't know if I've ever seen him play, in fact, but I, I, I know who you're talking about. I guess I just never really heard the name pronounced. The bro- but, ah, yeah. of course. The broader course, point yeah. being, heck of a victory. Uh, I mean, heck of a team. Um, and mm-hmm. two of their guys qualify. Yana Konofman, three sets in his first match, six and six the next two. I think Yana Konofman, first of all, checks off a lot of boxes in terms of your modern ATP tennis player. I don't think Yana Konofman is like Hubi Hercot's point eight. Like, there's a lot of similarities between their games. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I honestly didn't uh, expect the, him qualifying for a hardcore slam at all. Uh, what, what what was the section he was in? Uh, okay, so I, I had Alistair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess uh, you know with the with with the way it's it progressed with how he got Genesi in the final qualifying round. That's when I thought okay, Huntman might have it. Uh, but um, I don't know. He's he's certainly been serving very well in this in this qualifying run. Even though that kick serve of his obviously isn't gonna work that well on on faster surfaces. That's like. I don't know if, if I have a favorite shot of Yannick Hanfman, that has to be the the second serve kick. The kick serve uh, out wide serve and volley yeah. play. Couldn't do, that's I feel like Hubi does that all the time. Yeah, serve and volley, yes. Uh, the kick, yes, but it's not as huge as Hanfman. Yeah, like, it's impossible to have a kick serve like Hanfman. And on the surface, he cannot use it, which is partly why I never really thought of him that much uh, if i remember correctly he had like three top 100 victories on hard uh, obviously still has because because uh there weren't any top 100 players in the qualifying uh and and his record against them was like 312 so i i really didn't expect it just purely because of you know surface ground on surface grounds uh he's playing another qualifier right i, I, I believe I... so yes I no, no, say... no, he's playing Kokinakis, yeah. Oh, so kind so of. That's, uh, yeah, a sort of a qualifier. Wildcard yeah. is a qualifier. Uh, I, I mixed him up with uh, with some with someone else who was playing. Ah, uh, Gombos, who was playing Skatov, yeah. Uh, and anyhow, uh, obviously, Kokinakis has just won his maiden career title, mm-hmm. which is going to make uh, it very tough for Hanfman. But then again, uh, Tanasi has already played nine matches this year. Is it going to yeah. be? Eight. Eight, maybe? Because he was in the quarters or well, I mean he's played a lot of tennis to the to the broader point he's played a lot of tennis these first two weeks nine yeah yeah, yeah. because he was in the semis in the first event so that's that's probably Hanfman's chance there and I've seen Tanasi Kokinaki struggle against big servers a lot uh, even today against Rindernach that was the case for the first two sets no one actually came close to breaking anyone like for for, for the first two sets I believe there were just two deuces and no break points at all uh, and Tanasi lost a lot of matches like that like this last year. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of one against Sukita at the US Open qualifying. And it just felt like any time he played a big server, he would really struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to an extent it happens this week uh, against Isner, uh, getting to three tie breaks without breaking him. Obviously, it's not a crime, but I think Isner wasn't really playing that well besides his serve to justify that obviously against Isner you can you can always you know have free tie breaks no matter how well he's playing but uh I believe that's one of return is basically one of the the things that the Nasi could still improve 
and if he's and if he's tired and he probably will be to some extent and if Huntman can use maybe not that second serve kick but the, the first the, the bomb from the first serve mm -hmm. as he's been uh in the in the qualities here even he also had a lot of tie breaks on his mm -hmm. on his way right five tie breaks in seven sets won four of them uh so if if he can you know keep if you can hold his serve uh and Stanasi is somewhat tired even though he's playing extremely well right now but four of his five matches in Adelaide the, the second week went three sets uh, of, of the nine matches he played this year six went three sets uh, I would love to see Nadal Kokinakis round two and I think I will still see it <laughs> but Huntman has a pretty decent chance there definitely right. well with that said last two questions for you let's start here biggest missed opportunity what player in qualifying okay. in your mind disappointed the most uh, I gotta look for the draw, honestly. Escobedo, I, I cannot really count as a missed opportunity because he made it as a lucky loser, and rightfully so, as we said. Um, we both picked Stricker. I think with the draw he had, there was a big chance, but there there is a person in that section that definitely missed it, and it's Matthew Ebden. Mm -hmm. That was such a good chance for him to qualify. He played he played very well against Stricker, I believe. Uh, the first match against Morang was mostly about uh, the German's fitness going sure. down after after the first set. But then in the final round against Gombos, I mean, Gombos is just so wild. You never really know what to expect. He's never going to maintain a steady level. But Ebden actually served for the match twice in sets two and three. And at home, Ebden has always played well, made the second round at, at the Eastern Open a few times. And I feel like that, you know, not, not to capitalize on that, that was terrible. And he obviously cannot... Uh, cannot really get a lucky loser spot. Uh, we mentioned uh, Safiulin, who uh -huh. served for the match against Brody and then lost 12 points in a row. I, I believe it was even even more, like 14 or something like this. So it, maybe he makes it. As I said, I think he's third in the uh, lucky loser queue right now. And there's, that's still not counting Djokovic. Uh, Gofeu might withdraw because he was injured. Uh, Tergios might withdraw, although I guess he he probably plays a slam if he if he can. Uh, but but so maybe Safirin still makes it. But if he doesn't, then it's really on on him, you know, to lose. Yeah. At least if you're up six four five two, uh, and you lose, maybe that's not always a new. Maybe your opponent picked. But if you lose twelve points in a row to get it back to five five, then I then I believe that's that that's mostly on you. So I would say I would say Safiulin Abden Damir Jumhur certainly uh, played very well against Litu, then played very well against Hijikata until until Rinki had to retire. That was a terrible case of cramps, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I mean, obviously Marco Trujillo is a god of qualifying for Grand yeah. Slams. Final qualifying round, he suddenly I mean he just cannot lose the the, the match he had against Kovacevic at the US Open. Yeah. Then right now against Dumhur, against Kovacevic, it was like five match points, right? Five, six, mm -hmm. something like this. Here he was two points away from losing. He the diving volley against Kovacevic. He was a match point down and he the diving volley. It's just it's just ridiculous how good this guy is in qualifying. Uh, but still, you know, leading like this, uh, Dumhur also served for the match in the third set. Uh, and it cannot be denied that even though he is a god of qualifying, Marco Drujeliti is a good draw in the third round. Like there's there's plenty of players who are more dangerous. So so to miss it for Drumhur, I believe that's that was also pretty. I don't know that that wasn't great as well. I guess that would be my 
uh, yeah. my three picks. I was mostly looking at you no, know, because uh, because I haven't prepared for it. I I was mostly looking at the final rounds, so I might sure. have missed someone who was who was earlier. Oh, Quentin Ellis, I I earlier uh, talked about uh, again losing from match point up. Like I believe in the past four months he lost from match point up five times, which is absolutely crazy. Um, it was Ferreira Silva, Cuaco, Gianessi, Seppi, someone else, I think. And it, it's just, you know, that, that sort of ratio just kills your career. <laughs> I believe Quentin Alice is playing at, at this point in time. He's basically playing at the level that once took him to 102. That was also when he qualified to for the Australian Open and played Djokovic. And, you know, at that point, he seemed like a big prospect and a certainty for the top 100. And it never happened. And even though I believe he's playing extremely well right now, he just keeps losing these matches when there's when he gets tight, when there's a situation when, when he can get nervous. And uh, it's just mind-blowing to me that he's been losing so many matches in, in close circumstances. Uh, and I believe that was a, a very good section for him to, to go out of. Yeah, I would throw two more names at you. Mm-hmm. We talked about Liam Brody's success. J.J. Wolf should have won that match. Like, not a doubt in my mind. And, again, takes that first set 6-3, was hitting the serve, the forehand so well. Kind of exposed the lack of plan B, though, C, D, when Brody started pushing forward more in sets 2 and 3. And so I just thought that was a tough one to match. Wolf did not serve particularly well. And the other one... And I know he's not exactly renowned for his hardcore success, but if you've got Gastel Elias in round two and you've potentially got Timothy Skatov round three, if you're Juan Pablo Varias, like, that was your moment. That was the window of, like, get into that main draw. And I know for him, again, a hardcore success, not his thing. But the draw was there. Like, you can't tell me going into that match against Skatov, yeah. like, it would have been... That's a 50-50. Like, that's about as good as you can get for Juan Pablo Varias in a hardcore slam qualifying final round. I agree that it's about as good as you can get, but then again, this could the very same thing could be said about Varias, Uchiyama, Gulbis, and Elias. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I and I don't think Varias is the best hardcore player out of these four. Like, it's he's certainly not better than Elias in my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he beat Uchiyama, so so I guess I have to, I can't really say that Uchiyama is a better hardcore player right now. But usually I would say this. Uh, Gulbis obviously retired in the third round, so and in the first in the first set, so who knows? But I, I'm not sure it was that great an opportunity. Obviously the draw was very uh, very kind to him, but I don't I just don't think he has the potential to qualify for hardcore slams. And for Wolf, uh, yeah, I, I can certainly agree with that, although I never really figured it as that much of an opportunity as, you know, in the next round, it was Safiulin or Eubanks. So even if he was beating Brody, it was far from a certainty that he would qualify. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, well, with that said, my final question to you, which of these qualifiers is best positioned for success over the next two weeks or really obviously week one more pressingly? Yes, uh, I I believe I've already talked about Mahaj and I've already talked about Lehechka. Mahaj probably has a much better shot because of uh, no, because because of drawing Serundolo, not Alcaraz, not Alcaraz. Alcaraz is with Tabilo, but uh, Lehechka has Dimitrov, of course. Radu Albot has a good chance against Nishioka, but then I also don't really give him much of a chance against Vukic or Harris. Whoever wins that, Vukic Harris is by the way like a sleeper pick for for much of the round. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll agree with me since you, <laughs> since you obviously like Vukic and 
any other uh, former NCAA guys. I'll tell you this, Vukic looked darn good in his first two weeks of play. Like, the, yep. he is finding his forehand with such ease, and that thing is a weapon. But I think more importantly, perhaps, the depth on his backhand. Like, it just has gotten better in his serve, picking his spots. That slice-out-wide plus-one inside-out forehand combo is just, le- like, on the do side, is just legit excellent. Yeah, and for Harris, this is the second match of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he actually blew a match point, I believe, against Sun Wukwon. So, uh, you know, th- this could be a case of Harris maybe not really being back to his 2021 disposition and Vukic stepping up. I think this is really a... This could be a potential classic. Um, but, yeah, and Albot, I, I believe, even if he beats Nishioka, would, would probably lose to Vukic or Harris. So, so not really looking at, at him. Uh, but there are two qualifier versus qualifier matchups, mm-hmm. uh, which one of them is Katov Gombosh. And I mean, <laughs> you can take my, uh, you can just guess who wins that. Wins yeah. it. This is a 50 50. I stopped trying to expect anything from Norbert Gombosh a long while ago. I, I, he always just catches me off guard and, and suddenly either peaks like he. In, at Davis Cup last year, he had that match in, in Bratislava where he gave only one game to Christian Garin, for example. Uh, just an incredible performance. And then he you know, then he goes to another event and doesn't play his best at all. Uh, I have no clue if, if Skatov's you know, forehand improvement will be as evident in this match as well. But you know, fitness-wise, in a best of five, maybe that's, that's Skatov's advantage. And this is actually a fun section because there's Chilich playing Gomez and a qualifier and then Skatov Gombos. And I, I believe Chilich should probably clean this up, but Chilich is another one of these players where you never really know. Obviously, his floor is higher than Gombos's, but uh, there's another qualifier we talked about in like Ian Brody, who could certainly win a match against Kyrgios. Uh, this isn't a good matchup for Kyrgios when he's coming back after another break. Uh, not fit, which we which we basically know because of all the withdrawals, right? And the other qualifying matchup is uh, Daniel Barrios Vera, and here I mean here I see a guy who could potentially go to the third round. Uh, this is maybe maybe a bit crazy, uh, but I I would probably you know need to see that amazing serve from Daniel again. But Barrios Vera is I mean a favorable draw. You cannot really hope for hope for more in a hardcore slam and then he's playing Basilashvili or Mare uh, and if if he continues serving like this if he continues playing like this uh, then I don't think it's out of his range at all obviously Basilashvili can be can be a mess in any single match he plays <laughs> again you never really know so many of these players uh, Mare has just reached the final in Sydney but I I'm not sure I you know believe he's playing at a ridiculously high level right now i think it's still that that sort of you know top 50 top 60 quality that he certainly has at this point in his career but that's nothing daniel couldn't possibly beat i'm not saying he he will or i'm not saying that he'd be favored against mare uh but this is a guy who could potentially do it then it's seen you know that's that's probably the end of the road but yeah. but i wouldn't be i wouldn't be shocked to see Tarodan in the third round. I don't think there's going to be like a Botic van der Zandshold in, in this event or even Oscar Otte uh, from the US Open. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure the draw allows any any single one of these players to go that far. 
I guess I could potentially see Lehechka if he beats Dimitrov, and then let's say Tsitsipas has, you know, has issues with the elbow, maybe loses earlier, even maybe maybe he doesn't even reach the third round, but we don't know how, you know, how his how his elbow is going to be. But if Tsitsipas is as good as he was at the, uh, the ATP Cup when he actually played singles. Uh, then, then probably not anyway. So um, yeah, I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I would be surprised, and I was surprised at the U.S. Open. But there, I remember I, I had Oscar Otte as someone who could go far. I, I had Van der Zandt, who probably not. I probably had him lo- losing to Root. But there were so many qualifiers there that went deep, uh, and uh, I guess I'm just trying to say that here it's a little more unlikely. Uh, probably just possible in the case of of Lehechka and in the case of Daniel and in the case of Mahaj because after he plays Serundo he's got Kresi or Isner and while it's very hard it's not unwinnable for sure I just love that I say give me the case for one of them and you give me all 16 <laughs> this is why I, you are, I am always a fan of you I'm sorry, I'm sorry no 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 that, that's not never apologize you gave no, me because the answer I, 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 I didn't have an answer prepared you know I yeah. had to look through the draw so <laughs> no but, that's what I know. love is you talked it out I could hear the thought process going through and yeah, I'm always. not gonna just you know sit in silence uh, let, let the viewers sit in silence uh, the listeners sit in silence while I, while I go through the draw and yeah, start no, to think about it I love it. that I'm, no I love that I think I think I would agree. Lehechka, if he can get through Dimitrov, things certainly open up. I I think it would be tough to see any qualifier get to the fourth round, just in particular Mm -hmm. given the depth right now in men's tennis. How many guys, like you think about it, Kasper Ruud has never made a second week. Taylor Fritz has never made a second week of a Grand Slam. Like these are he the guys at this slam, by the way. Oh, I, I <laughs> would agree, and I would, well, unless RBA wants to give him the business. Yeah, um, RBA is the is the only danger, I think. Well, because RBA is playing good ball. All right, with that in mind, I don't know if you've given predictions yet for your champions for the men's and women's side. I apologize for putting you, you know, under the gun here. No, no, no. But let me hear. Them. Give me your predictions. Final thoughts here on this Australian Open. Who you got taking home the title? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, it's actually very frustrating because we still don't know if Djokovic is going to be there. Yeah. And I, I wrote uh, these uh, roundtable predictions like for, for two sides. Mm-hmm. And I probably will have to amend if, it's, if it ends up uh, that, that Djokovic is not in the draw. But anyhow, I wasn't picking him. But my pick for the men's title is well related to the fact that Djokovic is in the draw because I picked Medvedev. Uh, and mostly because of the fact that there could be a Djokovic-Zverev semifinal uh, again, like at the US Open, like we, we've seen uh, in New York. Obviously, here it's not going to be that uh, important because there there was also that added pressure of a calendar slam and all. But we we sort of seen what a five-set thriller in the semi could do to you in the finals because I think it could be argued that besides the pressure, Djokovic was also somewhat tired maybe 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 it's also because of mental things you know when you when you're uh when you're under such extreme <laughs> extreme pressure like someone no one has been in for you know, in the past 50 years then your muscles also get more you know more uh, more strain on them but anyhow so that was like mostly the reason why I, why i wanted to pick medvedev because Zverev and Djokovic are in the uh, in the same half, but it, let's say Djokovic withdraws, and then I would be going for uh, a little bit of a wild card if there can be a wild card, because there's literally three 
possible champions in my mind, just like it was in New York. And then I would be going with the one that still doesn't have a Grand Slam title. So if, if Djokovic is out, I'd be going for Zverev. Uh, but because uh, he landed in, in Djokovic's half, then, then that, not, that doesn't make me <laughs> confident that he can beat Djokovic and Medvedev uh, in, the, you know, in the same run. Uh, so so that's why I would stick with Medvedev if Djokovic is in the draw, but if he's not, then maybe Zverev, but it's, you know, I obviously know the, the risks that this pick <laughs> has written into it with the uh, terrible record against the top 10 at majors, but that just has to, you know, that just has to stop at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think his best of five struggles are in any in any way justified, like that there's any real reason for this. I think a lot of people just go around saying that Zverev doesn't, uh, Zverev sucks at best of five play. And I'm not sure like what are the grounds for this. Uh, it's not like his fitness is, you know, it's it's remarkable. It's it's insane. It's not like he, I don't know, gets somehow figured out over a long format. It's not like he cannot keep up uh, a great level. I think it's mostly just some sort of mental issues that he, uh, that he needs to overcome and that he will overcome at some point. I don't know if at this slam, but yeah, if, if Djokovic is not in the draw, then I would go for, I would go for Zverev. But I mean, as as I said, as in New York, it's literally three guys. Otherwise, it's going to be a huge surprise. I very um, much agree with that assessment. What about on the women's side? Yeah, I, I, I remember I picked Halep to win this. Yeah. Uh, you can literally go for 30 women as in New York, as in the, you know, the, the previous slums, <laughs> you know, it, it's, um, we just had a Maradukano winning this. So maybe it's Stephanie Wegele or some, something like this, <laughs> Christina Buxa or, or I don't yeah. know, but obviously not. Uh, it would be even, even more shocking than, than a newcomer, obviously, because we've, we've seen these women, uh, these women a billion times. Uh, but I, I went with Halep because I'm I don't have the stats for that I haven't checked it but I feel like just uh, looking at the past few years uh, on the women's side it's been more important who was playing well in warm-up events uh, than on the men's and I obviously enjoyed seeing Halep in Melbourne was it Melbourne I think right mm-hmm. uh, she's she found some motivation again uh, she's healthy again which is obviously super important. Uh, I don't know if if the fact that she's won it before makes me more confident. Probably, uh, slightly. <laughs> like most of the top favorites have pretty hard draws. I'm not necessarily talking about uh, the first round, maybe, but Barty and Osaka being in one section, for example, that's that you know that drives me off Barty a bit. Uh, potentially Georgie in the third round. Obviously, that that's that's not very uh, that's not great <laughs> as well. Uh, there's also who, who who else? I think yeah, Kontavite has a has a very tough section to me. Shnyakova, then then Ta- Clara Thompson, for example, or mm-hmm. Daniel Collins in the third round. Maybe Shelby Rogers in the third round. She always she's always great at the slams. So I just had to look for someone, you know, a little bit behind. I mean, Halep has Muguruza in their se- in, in in her section. So that's also, I mean, literally anything can happen as always. Uh, I picked Halep because, as I said, in in the warm up she was great. She seems to be somewhat rejuvenated. She, I, I read an interview with her where she said that she, like, considered retirement. Maybe not considered, but I mean, the thought was in her mind. Uh, 
you know a couple uh, a couple months ago or something like this and now that now she feels like she can go on that her private life and her tennis career is you know are pretty much you know working together well right now and i believe that's that's the right motivation that's the right mindset that she can enter this tournament in i was also thinking of Igash Fiontek for sure uh, but the the way she lost to Barty was just a little bit too straightforward to me uh, mm-hmm. to consider her uh, you know to consider her a real you know top top level elite contender for the title. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised with a big run. She's got a very decent draw to do it as well. Yeah, no, it's uh, it should be really exciting. Two weeks, obviously, in Australia, and of course, I know you and Jakob will be back on Monday to talk about the qualifying in even further depth. Talk about uh, how you think they're going to fare. Talk about the week on the Challenger Tour. What else you got planned? Anything fun throughout these next two weeks? No, I mean, just sleepwalking through through my days <laughs> yeah, again. Exactly. I actually slept in class yesterday, uh, which is a bit fun. I have no idea how many minutes it took me. <laughs> I just, I remember I was actually watching uh, Draper Richard on stream. Mm-hmm. And I think when I fell asleep uh, on, a, on, on my phone, of course, and when uh, when I fell asleep, I believe it was like two one, and then I woke woke up at four three. So <laughs> I'm assuming it had to be about ten minutes. Uh, yeah. The teacher was sort of looking at me funny later. I don't know if if that was the case, but that was after I, uh, well, I just uh, you know went through the night watching the. That was actually the finish of the Australian Open qualifying, so probably the most important day. Mm-hmm. And then I just went straight to the university. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that. That wasn't great, but thankfully right now I only have to go there like three times a week, I believe. So you know, just just six days where I'm gonna be basically asleep in my chair. In my chair. That's good. Uh, but other than that, I mean, yeah. No, that that sounds healthy, my friend. That sounds like you know the way tennis fans enjoy college. Yeah, that's but... not healthy at all. But yeah. uh, I'm I can do it. I mean, it's it, it's pretty. I, I was actually thinking about this because uh, it's certainly somewhat detrimental to your health. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not so much at our age yet. Uh, but but you know when you when you're an older person and I imagine myself watching tennis for probably covering tennis my whole life and I'm just you know, I'm just thinking to myself so what every January is gonna look like this mm-hmm. but I guess that's what we have to do and as you said I mean we we're still lucky most of tennis is happening in Europe in or in uh, the Americas let's say. Uh, so we basically get to watch everything. I think Europeans have it even better, probably. Although as uh, you you have uh, an easy, a slightly easier time in Australia, but for example, when you live in I don't know Hawaii or <laughs> uh, or or in Australia, the, that these guys can really struggle to to watch tennis, right? So so I think we we still have to consider ourselves lucky. Mm-hmm. No, I mean. First of all, eventually, Damien, hopefully someone will just pay for you to be down there, and then you'll be fine, and it's not even going to be an issue. Um, but, no, I, the next two weeks are always a grind, and I know I speak for all of us. I pre- we all appreciate the work you do to try and cover it all, and I am sure I will be asking you for a mini-break podcast or two over the next two weeks. My last question, what do you do to spend your birthday? Give me the lowdown. What, what's in the what's in the cards for you tomorrow? <laughs> to be honest, not, nothing much. I mean, I... <laughs> 
I never really liked holding b- birthday parties or anything sure. like this. So uh, I know there's gonna be like, definitely not a surprise party. I'm, I'm, there's probably gonna be like a su- surprise present or something like this, a surprise gift for me. Uh, but I, I am not really planning anything special. I do have, uh, you know, a few plans for tomorrow, which include uh, the, watching the Challenger final in Forli and watching the Challenger <laughs> final in Blumenau. I have a Challenger re- uh, to recap to write. I have a Challenger podcast to record with Jakub. I have an uh, ITF uh, week recap for for a website uh, for a Polish website that I do on the polls, competing there. So I mean, it's it's going to be plenty of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably game. not much not much fun i mean work is fun let's let's be honest like if if you're doing what you love it's fun Exa- so. i agree with it. my mom was asking me post holiday she's like what are you looking most forward to i was like watching the tennis i was like i miss it i'm ready to get back to it so if, again my friend that enthusiasm something that always uh gravitates us towards your work and so as always damien thank you for taking the time to help me recap qualifying be safe be healthy i'm sure we will talk more soon Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Cracked Rackets contributor Damian Koost. If you'd like to hear more from him, tune into this podcast every Monday. He and Jakob Brabaro breaking down the ATP Challenger Tour with more depth than anything else I've seen out there in the tennis universe. Of course, you can also read him on our website, CrackedRackets.com, and tons of other places as well. Of course, as I mentioned at the top, our Australian Open coverage, ready to rock and roll. If you missed any of our preview content, men's and women's contenders, men's and women's dark horses, our thoughts on the uh, irrationally confident players, and so much more going into the draw, you can find it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, we'll have daily recaps, daily picks, matches of the day for our Patreon family, and more throughout the two weeks. If you would like to support our efforts, you can become a Patreon member today. Just go check out our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, speaking of CrackRackets.com, a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible again we know it's our job here keep you all the most well-informed best educated fans in the business we are trying our best to do just that and we will continue to offer you the coverage we know you all deserve throughout the year's first grand slam event but with all that said for my fantastic guest Damian Kust our super producer Daniel Westoff and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.